0: This is the Hoff Time Report with Idaho Freedom Foundation President Wayne Hoffman, one of Idaho's most respected influential public policy voices. Hi everybody, welcome to this special program. I'm Wayne Hoffman, I'm President of Idaho Freedom Foundation. I'm joined by Senator Christy Zitto and Representative Mike Kingsley. We're gonna talk about the governor's State of the State Address and your initial observations from the speech and any documentation you may have seen relative to what the governor is planning for this legislative session. Uh, let's just go ahead and, and get started. Tell me what your initial observations are. I can tell you mine, but I'd much rather hear yours. You'll hear mine along the way.
1: Well, I think it was shorter this year <laughs> than it has been in past years. Um, the thing that stood out to me the most through the whole entire speech, listening to it, was when he spoke about the health districts And these different boards, because most of the people, constituents and folks around the state that I visited with, do not see that as the way government should operate, that unelected officials should not have, or not even officials, but should not have that kind of control. And he, you know, lauded how great it was and and how they were doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And I, to me, it indicated a little bit of not being in touch with possibly what the citizens of the state are thinking
0: Yeah, I I kind of had the same observation, Mike.
2: Um, Well, I was pretty impressed with the condition that Idaho's in, you know, even post-pandemic, you know, to, and I think that to, you know, some benefit that he's done a pretty good job with, you know, managing this, uh, the COVID situation and the amount of money and stuff that's been spent. Now, now granted, there's been a lot of money come in from the feds that has not been accounted for, and we're going to need to deal with that, but um, all in all that you know, that Idaho's number one, that's, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. I mean, Idaho is in really good financial shape compared to a lot of states, but my gosh, um, can't we just be, uh, why do we always have to be the skinniest kid at fat camp is kind of the way I view it. Shouldn't we lead out in a way that makes people excited about who we are as Americans? I think our country is on the, on the verge of, um, uh, really a very very troubling situation where our Republic is is in uh, in a dire situation and I'm not hearing that from Miss Beach it's a, it's the same kind of thing you hear every year right. I mean once again I mean we have another legislative session where the governor wants to put millions of dollars into education literacy programs because this time it's going to make all the difference and we're not going to have kids that can't read by third grade mm-hmm. isn't that just stunning?
1: Well, it would appear that no matter how much money we put into something, we're we're just doing that where you continue to do the same thing except expecting different results and you're not going to get it. So it would appear then that throwing more money at something isn't necessarily going to get us where we want to be. And as far as the money that's come into the state, I I hate to think of Idaho as being a welfare state. Right. And when we get money from the federal government, there's no way to look at it other than that. And I believe you probably know the number for sure, but a large, a large portion of our state budget is federal money. And anytime we get federal money, we know then that it comes with strings and attachments and you have to do this and it gets to be spent that way. And that's not freedom. That, that's just being another arm of the federal government. And I believe that Idaho could be in a unique position, a very unique position, to be an independent state, a truly independent state. And that's what we should look at. And then my other angst about all of the federal money that came in is um, the legislature is supposed to appropriate how money is spent. And that didn't happen. That we, we didn't have any say as a legislative body in how that happened. Um, you do have to give him credit for managing things well. And um, that, that we are do have a budget surplus. I guess you could have spent all that money as fast as it came in. But, you know, those are, those are my thoughts on it.
2: Well, and I think that also sets us perfectly to um, go further into putting in conservative legislation that will change it so that we don't have to keep coming back for more money. So and I'm really excited about um, the conservative agenda that Ron, Nate, and you have put together, Representative Nate. This is awesome. Um, you know, I don't know if people are aware of it, but... You know, a group of us, uh, I think there's 30 of us are working really hard at, you know, to get conservative legislation passed this year, like the grocery tax and uh, other things that are going to level this playing field out for Idaho for good. So I'm excited about that.
0: I'm glad you bring up the grocery tax because that was the other thing that was really stunning to me. I'm old enough to remember, and I just had a birthday, but so I'm old enough to remember, however, when Governor Little, then a candidate for governor, he was Lieutenant Governor at the time, said... I want to repeal the sales tax on groceries. And so now we've gone through three legislative sessions, 2018, 2019, 2020, no repeal of the sales tax on groceries. He never talks about that in his uh, proposals, his policy agenda to legislators, and he didn't do it this time. And in fact, if you look at his budget documents, when he talks about uh, tax relief, the only thing that's mentioned in there is possibly, possibly, Doubling the grocery tax credit, so this one item in here that he believes very, very strongly in, or at least candidate Little did, is not in his
2: proposal. Why? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think the legislature is going to have a lot to say about that this session. I think this is the session we all get together and you know we we get this passed once and for all.
0: Do you think we're gonna? Will we? Will we see that? Will the House even allow the introduction of a bill? To repeal the sales tax on groceries, because that has been the hang-up for many years in a row as well.
2: I haven't seen one yet, but I would imagine there's going to be one.
0: In the Senate?
1: I think if it comes from the House, I think it would stand a good chance in the Senate. It's what people want. Exactly. It's exactly what people want. I did a petition, and we had so many more responses to that than almost any other petition that we've had. Of course, next to guns. Guns are always what we seem to be most concerned with that second amendment right protects everything else but, but that's important to people and if you really think about it why collect it why, why go through the motions why put businesses through it or and everyone else to collect the grocery tax hold on to the money process it and then have to go through the processing again to send it back and then it doesn't go back equally I mean it goes back equally but it doesn't go back according to what you've spent. And so it, it just, it makes really, it really doesn't make much sense in the mind of just a common everyday person like me.
2: And especially for us who live in Lewiston, Idaho, which is exactly one blue bridge away from no tax on groceries in Washington, which is extremely unfair to our uh, grocers and, and salespeople in Lewiston. So I'm very much in favor of removing this once and for all.
0: I'm glad to hear that. I hope we can get it done. It's it's been a long time coming. I'm a little concerned as well that the governor talked about uh, transportation infrastructure. And by the way, I'm I, you know, I, he's right. We do have a congestion problem. with all these people moving here. But there are some hidden details that we haven't heard in terms of how he plans to pay for all that. If you do, you have any clues as to is he planning to raise the fuel tax? Does he want to raise? registration fees i i it wasn't made clear in the documents that i've seen or in his speech what he wants to do
2: yeah i haven't heard anything i don't know
0: yeah well i guess we're gonna find out huh
2: i was at a chamber uh, meeting in Lewiston via zoom and a majority of everybody was saying that if it did have to come to that that they would prefer it be the uh, tax on fuel but that doesn't mean necessarily that i agree with that but that's where it seems to be going.
0: You know, we would probably not have to do all that if we didn't expand Medicaid and have so much money going into the Medicaid program, but that's something no one wants to tackle either. And I, I imagine you have a front row seat to that as well with your role on the uh, Health and Welfare Committee.
2: Yeah, it just keeps growing and growing. And then once again, you get into Medicaid expansion and, you know, it was promised to us to be a $40 million program. We're at $100 million, you know, and so that's called bait and switch in the business community. And so I think we really need to, Figure out, you know, a, a good way of paying for Medicaid expansion, um, and and making it something that is sensible. What the, if the we just repeal it? No. <laughs> it? My voters, at least in my district, voted for it. So it's well, the, 67%. The, the, but they were
0: they were promised something and they didn't get. That's bait and sweat. I mean, it's, isn't there isn't that a cause to repeal something when they were told? And in fact, the governor's plan calls for some of the Medicaid expansion costs to be borne by property taxpayers. Which again is is part and parcel of the bait and switch. So now your property taxes are going to go up, right. based on something you voted for, and you were not told that was going to be the case.
2: Well, yeah, and another thing I'm upset about is the milliman, which is the people that do the study where they were so accurate that this was only going to cost this much. Well, they're off by $60 million. Why, why don't we hold them accountable? 60 million. Yeah, what's, yeah what's not a big it? deal. Trump change. But it's
0: true. Yeah. And they've been inaccurate in every state they've done their analysis on Medicaid expenses. Yeah,
2: exactly. So I think we need to dig into finding something <laughs> Do you think better. that'll
0: happen?
1: It's going to be a tough lift. Yeah. That's going to be a tough one to do because now we're into it. How do you undo it? How do you undo Seriously, it? Seriously, how do you unwind it? The, I didn't vote, you know, to, to put it in. Even though it was passed by referendum, it still had to be voted on. And the legislature very possibly could have done that because when term limits were passed in, I forget what year it was. 96? Uh, 96, 96, I believe. Is the legislature cr- didn't vote for that. They didn't enshrine that. So you know, they we repealed have it in to. 2002. No, yeah. That's exactly right. So we didn't have to do that. But now, because it's such a massive thing, And because now so many people are on it and health insurance um, programs and stuff are kind of like now structured around all of this. Seriously, how do you unwind something like this? It's turned into such a massive debacle.
0: Well, back in the day, it was fairly easy. In fact, I always like to go back to 1942 because a lot of people don't know this. 1942, the voters of Idaho by a bigger majority than the ones that passed Medicaid expansion, approved a a program for everyone over the age of 65. It was going to be a monthly stipend for everyone over the age of 65. 1943, the legislature came to town and said, we don't have the money to pay for this, and they repealed it outright. And no one said, oh, but the will of the people, the will of the people. No, we live in a republic. You were sold a bill of goods. You didn't know how much it was going to cost. We don't have a way to pay for it, so we're repealing it. That's political courage. Where is that kind of political courage? We have a program that was implemented without clear details of how much it was going to cost. We were lied to about those costs, and now we're just going to stick with it no matter what.
1: I agree because I I'm hearing from people as well that their insurance costs have actually gone up. Mm-hmm. You know that that it hasn't been what was promised. Um, people talk a lot about people in the gap. But I think that you would have to look really hard to find anyone in the state of Idaho and possibly even the country that had ever not had medical care when they needed it. Because if you're not picking the pocket of the citizens, people in the United States generally are as generous and compassionate and charitable as there can be. And so I really don't think that anyone has ever gone without necessary medical care. Um, I think that if we start talking about raising property taxes to cover this i think there will be massive backlash I, because i already hear now about property taxes being too high people are being taxed out of their homes they they can't afford to own them you're never you never own your property it's never completely yours because if you miss one of those tax bills for a certain period of time then then it can be sold out from underneath you and and really that's unconstitutional because that that's part of our our God-given right that's protected by the Constitution, the pursuit of happiness is the ownership of property. so you know I, that that might be the catalyst if they start talking increased property tax that may be what it is that lights the fire to repeal this
2: Well, and then you have to ask would would the voters even if it would have been said that this is going to be what it costs, would they have passed it? And I doubt it I doubt it I doubt, I doubt it too. or if
1: they'd have said your property taxes will go up so that you can pay for right. this. Property owners are already, they're tired of it. The burden always lands on the property owner, always. And you can say, well, you know, if you don't own property and you rent, it gets passed on to the renter or whatever. But that's not always true because how much property that's actually owned, and I would like to find those numbers, is rented. How much of that really is passed on to a renter or, or figured out some other way by the property owner? Because if you own your farm or you own your home, there's no one to pass that on to. You have to absorb that.
0: Let's talk about property taxes for a little bit, because that did come up in the governor's speech. He didn't reveal the details, but if you look at his um, proposal, or the outline of his proposal, one of the things he talks about is raising the circuit breaker, which is a special property tax break for those who are of a certain age and income. Is that something that you believe is the right approach to dealing with the issue of rising property taxes, or is there a better thing to do?
2: Well, my opinion is we've got to start making the hard cuts, you know, not, not only on the state level, but at, at the federal level as well. Education and healthcare are just the, 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 increase is just astronomical. And instead of just keep putting more money into it, we need to be bold. We need to, you know, what would be wrong with just redevising the way we do education you know, get it back to reading, writing, and arithmetic and, and do the basics and let people decide where they want to do. I mean, we just have to because at this point we're going to bankrupt not only our country but our state if we stay on this path of just throwing more money at it. So I'm, you know, I, and I, we talked a little bit ahead of time, but I really think we're at the preps, precipice of – either becoming a socialist country or we're going to become a republic the way we, that a constitution. And we have to be one, one way or the other. We just can't have them both ways. You can't keep taxing people to the point that they're bankrupt, but yet you can't keep spending on the other side of that as well. So, you know, it's time that, you know, Idaho, I hope we become the fortress. I hope Idaho becomes the example for all the other States that, you know, we, we, we live by our words and we we're honest and we pay our bills as we go. And we, are the ones that people look to to say, how did Idaho do that? And I think it's time for brave people like Christine, myself, and other legislators to rise up and say enough is enough. What do you think?
1: Well, I agree. We, we have to decide as a people, do we want the government to take care of us? Do, they want, do we want the government to do everything for us? Part of how property taxes are determined, as we know, are based on county budgets. Okay, so do, do we want our counties and do we want our cities to provide everything for us? I mean, yes, we want libraries. Let's, yes, we want some of these things. But do we really need them to provide every little thing that we think we want for recreation and everything else all the time? To me, those are places where private industry should be. I mean, if we want a football field, let private industry build a football field. That's the way it should be. Um, but you can't – everybody blames this on the state legislature – But I see it as as much the responsibility of our counties as well to trim their budgets, and then that will go back to the citizenry. We've got to be aware of what happens in our county commission meetings and our city council meetings, and you've got to know what they're planning on spending money on on those upcoming budgets, because that goes all into the formula that determines the property tax. And property tax is not easy to understand, and I admit I don't completely have a full grasp on how this whole formula works, and how it all comes about. I think that's part of the challenge that we have, is, is it's, it's very complicated how it all comes about. And then you start adding in levies, and school bonds, and, and for bonds for everything else that people think they have to have. We really have to take a look at what we expect from government. And if we want all of this stuff, then we've got to pay for it. If we don't want all of it, then we have to let our local and state officials know no, we don't need you to take care of us. We can do it ourselves.
0: You know, it's interesting, when all the CARES Act money came into Idaho, we came up with an idea where we said, instead of taking that CARES Act money and growing government, why don't we take that money instead and use it to buy down the amount of expenses that property taxpayers will have to absorb? And quite a few taxing districts in the state said, nope, not interested in in taking that federal money and and buying down the property tax burden, which was just stunning to me. And some county elected officials said, oh, well, it's not going to be a lot in relief anyway. I think in in Ada County where I live, I think on my house, it was about $100. Well, it's $100 that I wouldn't have otherwise that the county would have gotten a hold of. But there are counties in the state and there are cities in the state that refused to use that money to give relief to their residents. Meanwhile, they have no problem taxing you to pay for the lobbyists that go down to the Capitol and work against you and argue in favor of increased government. I think there's a real disconnect. And on top of that, you get your property tax notice, and there's 10 different agencies there that are all holding budget hearings. Who has time to keep that? I'm involved in the public policy space. You guys are involved in the public policy space name all the different people that are behind those different agencies. There's about 30 to 40 different folks that are elected, and you can't possibly name them all. And yet here you are expecting the residents of our state to do that, so there's no accountability, but they're spending your money. Right.
1: It, it, is a, it is a tough thing, and I, I, I don't know how... There's so much to look after and so many places for us to be right now. And, and so I, sometimes I tell people I feel like I'm standing in the middle of a pack of wolves. And every, everywhere I turn, you know, there's somebody or something coming at us on some issue. And we, we do live in challenging times right now.
0: Right, which is all this to say, going back to what Mike said, so raising the circuit breaker is the best we can do we're talking about fundamentally examining the role of government instead of just maintaining the status quo and throwing a nugget to people who happen to be of a certain age and income demographic that just sounds mean and not very well thought out And and going back to what you were talking about mike with regard to the crisis that our country faces I've been talking about the 2021 legislative session differently than I've ever talked about any legislative session before. And by the way, I've done 27 of these, or 26. This is my 27th. And we usually start the session out with, okay, what wonky policy thing are we going to try to take on? What's going to be, you know, uh, doing the grocery tax repeal or changing the formula for K-12 education or, you know, how much money should we spend on some program that JFAC is going to consider deliberating on. This is the year where it seems as if the stakes are a lot higher. Is our education system actually teaching our kids to be socialists? Does our higher education system indoctrinate kids into believing a certain thing versus another certain thing? And do we end up paying for that? And is there a way for Idaho to come back and do something different than the other 49 states?
1: Well, I agree with Mike. It, it would take some real courage and some real bravery and some real forethought. He's, he's completely right about that. We really need to look at education. We need to look at all of the budgets. It, it's not just education. We need to look at everything across the board because, you know, the analysis on how much more money these bureaucratic agencies and stuff get every year, they, they have a bigger pay increase than most citizens in the state, you know, budgetary wise and and that that's just not right that's just not right and like the circuit breaker like you were talking about I think another thing that's important to note is I think there are a lot of people who don't even know what a circuit breaker is or how it works or that it's even available to them so I, I don't know how even effective that really is when it comes right down to it how many people it reaches and how many people participate in it because they don't know about it sounds good Sounds good, but yeah, you know, but does it do anything? I mean, circuit breaker. One guy said, well, I I, I don't have breakers in my house like that anymore.
2: Yeah, (laughs) that's what I, yeah. Well, the, and back to, you know, the education part, you know, it's very, the constitution's very clear that we're supposed to give a free, I don't have the exact verbiage of a free uniform um, education thing. Well, I have rural schools in my area and they're going mike it's not fair you know we we're, we're not treated like schools in boise we can't have a second uh, teacher uh, second language teacher but yet they get that in boise and they get this here in boise and we don't get that and so he this guy was really upset and he was very passionate about you know if it's if the constitution says this is the way it's supposed to be then we need to return to those things and i go well think about that though do you really want a second education or a I think in second ESL. language. I'm sorry, second language taught in in Juliet, Idaho. You know, well, no, but I well, that's going to cost money. You know, but what it's fair. It's got to be fair. My point is, is that. Let's get back to the basics and let's get rid of all the extra fluff that goes in education, which does include indoctrination of our kids. And let's get back to the basics and let's teach that and give the kids a real firm foundation and then let them decide and their parents decide and their guardians decide which way they want to take the further and, and the kid which direction they want to go with education. I'm a firm believer in career technical. I think that's the right way. I think that that's worth the uh, investment that we're making in career technical. But start those kids at 14, 15, 16 years old, directing them into those careers that they might want to go to. But not not at a lot of expense. I think the parents should be able to decide that.
0: Free, uniform, and thorough are Thank the you. words. That's the words. I which I always for. find kind of interesting because, you know, if you're going to – if you, I, I don't know, even – nothing that's valuable in life would you ever assign those words to, free, uniform, and thorough. I want a new car, but make sure that it's free, uniform, and thorough. I want my car to be exactly like my neighbor's car. Right. I mean, you want your car to be a little bit better, right? And then we do things like Common Core. We say we want our education centers to be exactly like everyone else's because that's what you want. I don't think so. And so maybe we should actually take a look and, and say, is this system that we devised in 1890 – that was based upon essentially building a, a society that was accommodating to the Industrial Revolution. You want to have people that are skilled at standing in an assembly line and pushing out widgets, and they won't argue with you, and they won't worry about the details. They're just going to do what they're told to do. Right. And isn't that exactly what the, the the fruit that we're now sowing? We're, we're coming back to a place where people are not willing to question authority. How dare you say something beyond What is uh, prescribed for you to say?
2: Well, and with the the unions and the the teachers' unions and the way things are, if you even mention that this might be something we could cut, you're on on death row right there, you know, as far as a politician goes. You know, so that's where we need to start is, you know, we need to get back to just free market solutions for education. And I'm sorry, but that's where we need to do, falling right into what you're talking about. Maybe we need to look at that. The Constitution and say, should it is something that maybe we ought to look at and, and do differently? And I think we're to the point that we should do that.
0: Well, you don't have to be sorry, because we started doing that because of COVID-19. I mean, I would argue a lot of things that took place with the RONA during 2020 was the result of government mishandling. But one of the outfalls of that was parents taking ownership of their children's education and thousands did that in Idaho and they were elated. They were scared at first, but they were elated and they did a pretty good job. And now you have thousands of kids that are not coming back to the public education system.
1: Well, I think a lot of parents were surprised to find out what their students really do in a day in a classroom and how much time at school is spent not learning. And I really agree with Mike. And I think when we look at those words in the constitution about free and uniform Thorough, thorough. So, if we were teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic, if 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 we were supplying basic educational skills and knowledge to our students, we could do thorough. We, we could do.
0: Uniform. <laughs>
1: Uniform. We could do that, but it's when we decide. You can never do free because <laughs> no, that's well, a little bit absurd. There's no such thing as free. That's what I used to tell my kids. They would say, oh, but it's free, Mom. And I'd say, no, nothing is ever free. Somebody somewhere pays for it. But we could do that if we were if we were providing that kind of an education. And I agree with Mike. I am all about um, vocational technical training, and I don't care how young you are when you start. I, I've got grandkids who learn to weld like when they're 10 and when someone graduates from high school and they have a, a job-ready skill, then they can decide if they want to go on to college. But how many people that we, do we see that spend however many hundred thousands of dollars on a college degree and then they end up running a backhoe because they can make so much more money? And we have, or or they,
0: or they work at Starbucks as a barista. Which, and if that's what
1: you want, if that's
0: what you want, but that's fine. But if you have thirty thousand dollars in college debt and you've not been able to do something with your degree, that's kind of a problem. It
1: is, but but we have elevated this degree to almost a a godlike position. Yes, and there's nothing wrong with knowledge, but you can continue your knowledge without having a degree, and and I respect anybody that does that, you know, that will get their degree and get the education and get the knowledge, but I also respect the person who has the career technical knowledge, who runs the backhoe, and who is the journeyman electrician and the journeyman plumber, because what would we do without them? Those jobs are every bit as important, every bit as necessary to us as a society, as any of them. And if we graduate these kids from high school with those job-ready skills, and then they decide they want to go to medical school or, or they want to become a teacher or a lawyer or whatever it is they want, they can pay for their educations as they go. Then when they get to where they want to be, they don't have all of this debt, and they're free. They're free.
0: Let's talk about higher education real fast, and we'll call it a day. But I'm of the impression, and we just released a report on Boise State University's social justice agenda where much of the curriculum, in fact, you cannot get a Boise State University degree without, in some respect, encountering and being included in classes that are geared towards social justice indoctrination. We're talking about basically a school system that teaches racism, that says if you're white, you're a racist. If you um, are male, then you're, you're probably privileged, and things like that. So every student at Boise State University in one form or another will encounter that in their travels as they go to, to get a degree. What do we do about that? What are we, what is the, and is the legislature actually going to take that on? Because typically what happens is the House and Senate Education Committees and also the Budget Committee will hear from the college presidents, oh, look at the wonderful thing we're doing. Look at the number of people we have enrolled. Look at the number of degrees we've conferred. We got this federal grant to study something. Now give us more money. And no one is challenging the narrative that our universities are spitting out people who have been indoctrinated. Can Idaho be the state, the first state in the country, that reigns in the social justice indoctrination taking place in our institutions of public uh, higher learning?
1: Well, I, I would hope we could. I would hope we could because I know that the, the people that I talk to in my district and around the state, the taxpayers that I visit with, they do not want to pay for that. If When you get into the higher education realm, for the most part, it should be self-sustaining. Again, it should go back to a free market arena where if the schools are productive and they put out people who, who are productive, then more people will want to go there. I... I think that it's my opinion that really government doesn't really have much of a place in higher education, except, of course, the school that we're constitutionally bound to take care of. But beyond that, it really, I think, would function better on a free market level. And, and as far as as the stuff that you're talking about, I, I don't think we should be paying for that. that. That's not our place. That's not our job. That, that's not the kind of education we should be providing. The basics, reading, writing, arithmetic, job-ready skills, the, the rest of it you learn on your own. It's, it's, not, the gov- it's not the government's or your neighbor's place. When, you know, when we talk about money from the government, I think we need to start to be more clear that the government is not a money tree that grows in the backyard. That's your money. That's somebody's hand in your pocket taking money that you worked hard for. And right, that gives when, everything a different view. When
0: you're appropriating money, you're not just appropriating money, you're voting on how much money to take out of the economy from people who are working hard to earn that money.
2: You know, we've we've raised a lot of kids to just consider debt as being something that you automatically have. And, and it, you look at our federal government and the borrowing of the money with $27 trillion of debt with no they're not even talking about ever paying it back or how are there would even attempt to do that. And I don't even think kids understand how much a trillion dollars is, you know, that how much money that, so, you know, it's like my daughter would go, well, I'll just go ahead and take more classes because it's just a student loan. Everybody has them. And, And, and more than likely they'll finance that to $200 a month for 25 years or, you know, but it's, it's just that we've got this mentality that we don't have to pay it back, that we don't have to be accountable. And I think and I'm partly to blame. I've raised my kids like, well, go, go borrow money, buy a car. You know, you just make payments and it's part of the, the deal. So, I mean, I, I come from that generation that the debt's acceptable. And I think we need to get back to realizing that debt is not acceptable, that no man should owe any man anything else, just period. That's it. Pay as you go. And Idaho's in a good position to do that. And I think with edgy, going back to the college education thing, as long as the colleges keep getting away with all these diversity trainings and everything else, and they're charging kids on their credit card to take those classes, nobody's paying it back. All's good. Life goes on. But if we, if we got back to a point where people actually had to pay out of the, write the check, I think you'd see a whole different line of education.
0: Yeah. And that's the insidious thing. And not only that, but with the fees, the student fees, Oftentimes, you're subsidizing programs that you would never participate in. I mean, if you go to Boise State University, you pay a fee to supplement the funding for the Gender Equity Center, which then goes out and promotes the LBGTQ agenda, and you don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. You're just forced to pay for that. But what if you had a bill that perhaps said, you know what, students should have a chance, they should have an option. So when they get their their, uh, uh, their tuition and fee statement, they can check off which ones. And the ones that want to support the Gender Equity Center or at the University of Idaho, the LBGTQ, LBGTQ office, I can't ever get the letters correct, where you want to support the uh, inclusive, uh, excellent student government at Boise State University, you check that box but if you don't check that box, they get no money. That's and awesome I suspect idea. you could save probably about a third of the that's cost of fees for, for these students who are struggling to make ends meet.
2: And especially parents that are paying, you know, the ones that are writing the check, they might <laughs> want to say, hey, do we really need this? Which would be a great thing. So that's a great idea.
0: It would be a great idea.
1: It is. And not only that, to go beyond legislation, we really need to encourage the citizens of our state, if you don't agree with it, shop for another school. There, there, there's more than one university. There's more than one college. If, if these colleges and universities are promoting ideals that you're not in line with, go somewhere else. The same, same with stores, same with businesses. We, we speak loud with our money. You know, that, that if you, what was the old saying? If you hit them in the wallet, they really feel it. If you hit them in the heart, they might not. Mm-hmm. So we, we as, as people who spend the money... We need to really think about where our dollars go and who we're supporting and and what businesses we
0: support. To the degree you have a choice, because it's interesting because over at Boise State University, as you probably know, and at the Idaho State University, they have a public radio station. And so when Brandon Durst, who was a state representative, a state senator back in the day, said, wait a minute, you guys are horribly left of center. I don't like what you're airing the host of a program called Idaho matters fired back and said, well, if you don't like it, change the station. Well, if he doesn't like it, he still has to pay for it because 15% of the public radios budget comes from taxpayers like you and me. We have no choice. So tell me what reason is the state of Idaho in the business of promoting a radio station that also, by the way, has a very left of center national public radio platform as its centerpiece for programming, or a television why, station. Why is the state of Idaho in the radio and TV business where we actually promote the left's ideology? Why does does the state of Idaho have uh, Idaho Reports as a program that you are forced to participate in supporting when all they do is book left of center guests and left of center ideology?
2: Well, so much of what we do is there's no line item. You know, they're in they're omnibus packages and so you know and I, I think we saw that at last session when the college budgets were having such a struggle get, getting through twice it, it came up and yeah. failed yeah and um and it would be nice if we could vote on each college individually you know and say okay well you're doing a good job then there's no reason why you couldn't no, right and I think that's a good thing that we should do
1: I think we need to lobby JFAC to to break those budgets up I, I think for a lot of things we do the legislature themselves should have a better look and I know it takes more time. but We should have a better look at where that money really goes instead of just getting a piece of paper that you know, said this money goes here, this money goes there, without a lot of detail. Because if you're not part of the budget-making process or you're not really familiar with the school or transportation or this or that, then you really don't know because there's not enough time and there's just absolutely no way that every legislator can be an expert on every subject. So, you know, if citizens want to dig into it and really look, if you have an area of expertise, and and then go to your legislator and say, look, this is in this budget. This is what's happening. We We don't think this is the way it should be. And if a legislator has expertise in that area, but I agree with Mike that something really needs to be looked at as far as the way the budgets are presented so that we have a better opportunity to actually control the spending.
0: All right, uh, any closing thoughts? There's so much we could talk about. We can go on for days and days, but I know you don't have all the time in the world, so final well, thoughts. I just like
2: to, and I said it to you earlier, I really appreciate what you guys do. Thank I you. couldn't imagine what Idaho would look like without the Idaho Freedom Foundation. I mean, to be able to look at a bill and see whether it's going to affect the budget, you know, in what way or whatever. And, you know, yeah, I know you guys get a lot of complaints and a lot of people uh, not liking that. But like I said, I couldn't imagine what Idaho would look like without you. So I appreciate it. And thank you. Thank you, sir.
1: I'm also very grateful for that because there's, there's just not enough hours in the day for us as legislators to be able to look that closely at, at the very at very important pieces of legislation. And I'm especially grateful for the budget. Um, analysis that you started to do last year and I, I guess in closing my big thing is is you know right now we feel pretty hopeless sometimes as a state and as a country but but I still believe that we live in the greatest country in the world and, and that we have the greatest foundation that was ever created and it's up to us to save and protect that and no matter what happens now on a national level we have to protect our state sovereignty and we have to protect our personal autonomy and sovereignty. And it's up to us. And the greatest challenge and the greatest fight that we have right now is to preserve that, if nowhere else, but Idaho. Because I've been told for years, Idaho is the last stand, it's the last bastion of freedom, and we need to protect and return that to that greatness.
0: Amen, you got your work cut out for you, but I'm so glad you guys are in the battle because I couldn't imagine, you know, Well, it's nice the, to have the, you the, as a partner. The, the, All of The, you the feeling you. is mutual. The stuff that you do and and the role that you play is extraordinarily consequential. I'm glad to have you, and and I suspect if we count them up, there's maybe, what, another, um, I don't know, 25, 30 more in the legislature that are on our side as well, and there are some squishy ones who I think will come over, so we're getting... I think we have the most conservative legislature in our state's history. So let's take 2021 and make history. Let's do. Thanks for watching. We'll be back again with some more interviews and some exciting topics. Be sure to stay tuned and watch IdahoFreedom.org and this Facebook or, or whatever. What are we posting on? We're
2: everywhere posting we everywhere.
0: <laughs> watch for more details and stay tuned. You've been listening to the Hofftime Report with Wayne Hoffman. Be sure to visit IdahoFreedom.org for Wayne's articles, IFF research, and show notes from today's episode.